Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a program like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. Thanks. If people could be free to discriminate for religious reasons despite a non-discrimination law that otherwise would apply, then people that have that religious motive would be free to disregard the law, possibly even if it causes harm to people who are rejected, who are refused service or turned away or perhaps harassed or otherwise treated badly. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is produced in New York by Media for the Public Good, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Chris. This is the 12th part of our in-depth conversation with Jennifer C. Pizer, a civil rights attorney at Lambda Legal, about how claims of religious liberty are being weaponized to justify discrimination against LGBTQ people. If you've missed any of the series, you can listen on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Earlier in this series, we've discussed the court case of Fulton v. City of Philadelphia, in which a Catholic adoption agency asserted a religious liberty claim to essentially opt out of the city's non-discrimination policy by refusing to certify same-sex couples as potential foster parents. On June 17, 2021, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled in favor of the adoption agency, but on the narrow grounds that because the city has discretion to grant exemptions to the non-discrimination policy, it can't deny religious exemptions while approving non-religious ones. On this edition, Jenny talks with Outcaster Isha about the case. Jenny, thanks for joining us again on Outcasting. It's my pleasure. At several points in this series, we've talked about the Fulton case, Fulton against City of Philadelphia. The case involved two fundamental constitutional rights in conflict with each other, the right of a Catholic adoption agency to assert a religious freedom claim to refuse to certify same-sex couples as adoptive or foster parents while it was carrying out a public function with government money, and the right of same-sex couples not to be discriminated against by the adoption agency, which was carrying out a public function with public money. In other words, the right to be treated as equals of opposite-sex couples. Do I have that right? Well, I would describe it just a little bit differently. There is a fundamental constitutional right to free exercise of religion, but it's been an open question, and I think it remains significantly an open question whether that religious freedom right includes the right to do government business with government money according to one's religious beliefs. One's exercise of religion is supposed to be carried out without being subsidized by government. So with respect to religion, we have tension between the free exercise right and the Establishment Clause, which is supposed to separate the freedom of religion from government, the wall of separation between church and state. So that's among the big questions we have to grapple with. And then the right of same-sex couples to be treated equally, well, that certainly is a fundamental right. However, the Supreme Court, in deciding this case just recently, described the process of finding prospective parents and the right to be considered to be a foster or adoptive parent is not necessarily an equal right for everyone, that the process of looking for foster parents is a government function, and while maybe there shouldn't be discrimination against same-sex couples, that's not the same thing really as a right to be a foster or adoptive parent. 
the government's interest there is taking care of children. This was a part of the Supreme Court's ruling in this case, and we'll be talking about it more, but it came as a bit of a surprise to us. So the way I would describe this is we do have a right of religious freedom. Its exact limits and parameters remain not as clear as they could be, and same-sex couples have important fundamental equality rights but exactly how that plays out in the context of the government function of finding foster parents, well, that also is not as clear as it could be. So important constitutional rights, but still really important questions about those rights that the court has not resolved. So just to be clear, this wasn't a case in which the government was trying to force a religion to go against its own teachings in a purely religious setting. The government was seeking to have the adoption agency comply with its non-discrimination provision because the agency had put itself in the position of becoming a government contractor. Well, that's how we look at it, that the city has important work to do for the public and invited different agencies, some secular, some religious, different sorts of agencies to come forward to the city and seek a contract to do the city's work of taking care of children in the child welfare system and finding good homes for those kids. So a government function. Catholic Social Services looks at that work as part of its religious mission. And among the things that was specific to this case is that Catholic Social Services says that it has been doing this work of taking care of children in need for a very long time. They say they've been doing it for a couple of hundred years. And they think of that as work that is integral to their religious mission and their identity as a Catholic agency. They see the situation as the city having come into an area that where they were doing that work and imposing regulations on them. So what you have is two quite different perspectives. The agency feels that it has an interest in continuing to do the work it's done for a long time. And the city's perspective is that, well, these are children that are in the city's care. The city is responsible for them. They're not children that are in the custody of Catholic Social Services or Catholic families. They are children that are in the custody of the city. And the city has a legal responsibility under local law and also under state law to take care of those children consistently with professional standards and to put the interests of those children first. So this is how we had a clash of these two different ways of looking at the situation. Our perspective is that children that are in the custody of the government need to be taken care of with a focus on their best interest. And agencies that want to do that work with public money, with the children's best interest as the top priority, they should come forward and apply for that work and then follow all the rules. That's a priority for us because LGBTQ youth are so overly represented in the child welfare system, and often their particular needs are not recognized and prioritized. And so that was a perspective that we have moving forward, uh, since, as we will discuss, uh, the Supreme Court did not resolve all the interests in this case. Tell us about the factual background of the case. Well, the city runs a child welfare system to take care of the many, many children that are in city custody. They may be in city custody because they had to be removed from their home of origin 
from their parents because they were in danger for some reason or, or whatever the reasons may be, sometimes they're going to be returned to that family, and that often is a priority. Sometimes that's not possible. But the city runs this program and puts out contracts to agencies in the greater Philadelphia area to work with the city to do two different functions. One function is to actually run group homes, and the city spends millions and millions of dollars to provide those services to children to live in group homes that are operated by agencies, and Catholic Social Services is among the agencies that performs that function. And then a separate function is to screen prospective foster or adoptive parents and that is work that multiple different agencies perform, including Catholic Social Services. Now, the city of Philadelphia has rules and regulations and local ordinances that govern the way the city does business, and those include non-discrimination ordinances, non-discrimination rules. So the contracts that the city offers to agencies that want to do this work include a commitment not to discriminate on a various different bases, including sexual orientation or gender identity. And that non-discrimination requirement is in all the contracts. That is consistent with the laws of the city of Philadelphia and also with state law and also with the professional ethics rules that apply to social workers that do this kind of work. Catholic Social Services is one of many different agencies in Philadelphia that has done this work and had contracts with the city to screen potential foster parents. And it had done this before for quite a few years. The city had contracted with other faith-based agencies and, and also with secular agencies. It came to the city's attention actually through uh, news reporting that there were some faith-based agencies that objected to screening and certifying same-sex married couples. Catholic Social Services was one of those agencies, and there was another agency that also had objected. And the city then undertook to look into this because the non-discrimination rules are important to the city, both because it's a city function, because the city wants to have the widest possible pool of qualified foster and adoptive parents in order to have the most best placements for the children, and also because the city wants to make sure that its own agents, that is the agencies that do this work for the city, do not discriminate when doing the city's work, when acting as an agent for the city. That's part of its non-discrimination commitment as the way the city wants to treat the residents of the city of Philadelphia, that all of these services are, are paid for by taxpayer money, and the city aims to treat all of the residents of the area equally. So, when the city came to know that a couple of these faith-based agencies refused to certify married same-sex couples as potential parents, the city took to investigate that and informed both of these agencies that they needed to follow the rules in the contract. They needed to honor the commitments not to discriminate or else the contracts that they had would not be renewed. The one agency agreed to adjust its practices and to stop discriminating. Catholic Social Services, on the other hand, said that if it were to certify any same-sex couples, it would be endorsing same-sex relationships, and that's something against its religious beliefs. So Catholic Social Services told the city that it was not doing any discriminating against LGBTQ young people living in its group homes or receiving services directly from Catholic Social Services. So it said it's 
treatment of children in its care was not discriminatory, but that it did have to turn away same-sex couples, but it insists on continuing to do that work. And that is how the lawsuit began. Catholic Social Services brought a lawsuit against the city claiming that it should be entitled as a matter of its own free exercise of religion to receive the city contract, to do this work for the city, but to do it in a way that refuses to certify some people, some couples, as a religious matter. So the case then proceeded into federal court, and at the trial level, the city prevailed. The court said that the agencies do not have a religious right to get public money to do a public function in a religious manner that involves discrimination. The case then went up to the Federal Court of Appeal, and the Court of Appeal agreed. The city has a right to pick and choose its contractors that will follow the city's rules, that will follow local law and state law and professional ethics, and will not discriminate against anyone when it's doing that work. And then the case went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which decided the case just in the middle of June, finding in favor of uh, Catholic Social Services. And as you said, the court didn't squarely address the conflict between the two big issues, the religious liberty of the adoption agency and the right of same-sex couples to be treated equally. Can you walk us through the legal logic of the decision? Yes. Well, one of the big issues in the case is whether the Supreme Court should change the legal test that applies when a person or an agency, as in this case, says that the government is burdening or limiting its free exercise of religion. There is a legal test that has been in place since 1990 with which courts assess whether a religious freedom claim prevails or doesn't prevail, or what the government has to show in order to enforce a rule when somebody wants to not follow the rule for religious reasons. And so what happened in this case is that Catholic Social Services argued very strenuously that the legal test should be changed to be more protective of religious freedom. Another way of looking at it is to make it more difficult for the government to enforce a non-discrimination rule or other sorts of rules when somebody objects on religious grounds. What the court decided instead is that this was not a case in which it should answer that big question. And uh, there were three different legal opinions issued by the court. We can talk about what those decisions were. But what it boils down to in terms of the majority opinion is that there were some peculiarities about the contract that Philadelphia had in place for its agencies. The court said the rule that we have been using for these cases since 1990 says that when you have a rule that applies to everyone equally, it doesn't target religion, and it applies in the same general way to everyone, then the government does not have to make a particularly strong showing of need to enforce the rule. Basically, everyone has to follow the rule if it is applying equally to everyone, and there's no evidence that religion is being targeted or treated unequally. But in this case, the particular contract allowed the city full discretion to allow exemptions from the non-discrimination rule. That's kind of an unusual contract term. And what the Supreme Court said is, because of that unusual contract term, it builds in the possibility of providing exemptions without 
particular criteria about how the exemptions will be granted. And in that circumstance, some entities could have exemptions for perhaps all sorts of reasons, and therefore Catholic Social Services should have been able to have an exemption for its religious reasons. The way some people describe this kind of analysis, and it's a type of analysis that the Supreme Court seems to be using in religion cases uh, more recently. Uh, some people call it the most favored nation uh, type of approach. If anyone can have an exemption for whatever the reason may be, then religion should be able to have an exemption. Whoever gets the most favored treatment, religion should be able to get that most favored treatment as well. And what that means in this case is that the um, there were many legal briefs and big issues being argued and potentially decided, but instead the case was decided on these narrow facts that are specific to Philadelphia's unusual contract. And as uh, Justice Alito pointed out in his concurring opinion, well, we haven't really decided anything. All Philadelphia has to do is change that contract term and we'll be back here again with the big questions in front of us. And, you know, I think he's probably right. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced in New York by Media for the Public Good, online at outcastingmedia.org. We're talking about what happens when people claim that their religious liberty entitles them to discriminate against LGBTQ people in ways that wouldn't be acceptable if the discrimination were against other minorities. Speaking with Outcaster Isha is our guest, Jenny Pizer, the Senior Counsel and Director of Law and Policy for Lambda Legal country's oldest and largest legal organization seeking full recognition of the civil rights of LGBT people and everyone living with HIV. Can you tell us more about strict scrutiny and the context in which it comes up and how it came up in this case? Yes. Well, so I was saying there are different legal tests that the court can use in cases where the government has a rule that it's trying to apply and somebody objects on religious grounds. If the law applies generally to everyone the same, and it's not seen as targeting religion or treating religion worse. We call that the rational basis test. It's the easiest test for the government to prevail. The government doesn't need extra strong reasons for enforcing its rule if it's treating everybody the same. But if religion is treated worse, if there's evidence that there might be targeting or hostility to religion, or if there are different sorts of exceptions, so it's not a generally applicable rule, then the test that often will apply is called strict scrutiny. That's a test where the government has to show the most compelling reasons for enforcing the law, and that the law that's being enforced does not restrict religion any more than it absolutely has to, to achieve that compelling interest. I'll give you an example here. The law has been clear for quite a long time that the government has a compelling interest in ending race discrimination. And so if there's a law, and there was a Supreme Court case that addressed this very uh, issue going back to the late 60s, when we first had laws in place to tell businesses that they could not discriminate based on race, color, national origin, or religion. That's the federal law applying to businesses. And there was a case that was brought by the owners of a, a chain of barbecue restaurants in the South who had a firm religious beliefs against, as they would say, the mixing of the races. They would serve white guests in the dining room, and African-American guests could only get takeout from a 
a back window. And their justification for this discrimination was their religious beliefs. And the Supreme Court said, well, that's just uh, patently frivolous. Religion does not give you an excuse to discriminate based on race when you're operating a restaurant. So religious beliefs do not give a business or an agency an excuse to discriminate when there's a, a discrimination law that would apply. The question that we have now is whether this Supreme Court will see the governmental interest in ending other types of discrimination as being just as compelling. Discrimination based on sex, for example, discrimination against women, discrimination against LGBTQ people, discrimination among peoples of of different faiths, or discrimination against people living with a disability. We have different civil rights protections at the federal level and in the different states. And we're talking here about what the federal constitutional test will be that applies whenever somebody makes a free exercise of religion claim under the First Amendment of the Constitution. So it's a somewhat complicated area of the law, and it's an area where we think the law is somewhat or it may be in flux at the Supreme Court. And that's exactly what the justices were grappling with in the Fulton case. Should they change the test? And if so, how should they change the test? Should they change it from the rational basis test? Should they change it to the strict scrutiny test? Or should they change the way either of those tests operate, how the different elements interact with each other? So it's a complicated area of law, but it does come down to whether people get to discriminate against other people for religious reasons, and if so, in what situations can they do that? A lot of the discrimination faced by LGBTQ people has historically been based in religion. So what would it mean for non-discrimination policies if the Supreme Court rules that people or organizations can invoke religious liberty to avoid complying with the policies? Well, it might well mean that civil rights laws designed to protect LGBTQ people from discrimination, maybe they're not meaningless exactly, but what it might mean essentially is um, if people could be free to discriminate for religious reasons despite a non-discrimination law that otherwise would apply, then people that have that religious motive would be free to disregard the law, possibly even if it causes harm to people who are rejected, who are refused service or turned away or perhaps harassed or otherwise treated badly. If we have a constitutional right to discriminate, sometimes we refer to this as a religious license to discriminate, it can lead to all sorts of different problems. It can mean that, for example, young people in the foster care system would not have the protection, the guarantee of equal treatment that the system is supposed to provide them. It could mean that the pool of potential parents is made smaller because some potential parents are being turned away. It also can mean that people of minority faiths are treated unequally in a host of situations. Among the many problems is that we often don't know when this type of discrimination will suddenly appear. What the Supreme Court has said in recent years, to our surprise, is that constitutionally protected rights of religious freedom can be held not just by individuals who have a sincere religious faith and not just faith-based organizations or institutions, but also business owners who exercise their religion in the way they operate their business. This came as something of a surprise to many of us when the Supreme Court decided a case brought by the Hobby Lobby chain of retail stores, the owners of which 
say they object on religious grounds to certain types of birth control and therefore claimed a religious right to not include birth control insurance coverage in their employee's health plan, even though the Affordable Care Act requires that coverage. So the point is that people can be rejected for service or possibly denied part of their health insurance or or turned away or, or be treated badly in a host of circumstances without warning if this is how the law would evolve. And what we've seen from the Supreme Court is a series of cases. So the Fulton case is one, the Masterpiece Cake Shop is another, where the big questions were presented to the court and the court decided the case on narrow, specific, factual grounds that only applied to that particular case. And in this series of cases, the religious claimant won, but the court professed to keep the the existing legal tests in place. So we've all been in this period of, of limbo, if you will, those that are seeking to expand religious rights, including the right to turn people away or, or to, to discriminate, and those of us who are trying to insist that civil rights laws are terribly important in our country and they need to be enforceable. They really will not be able to do their job if the very people who want to discriminate are the ones who can claim a right to discriminate. And one thing I I want to add here, before 1990, the Supreme Court used a, a test of religious liberty claims that people described as being a form of strict scrutiny. It did require the government to make a particular showing to enforce a law when somebody offered a religious objection. But the way the court applied that test, it looked at whether other people would be harmed if the religious claimant was given a freedom to disregard a law that would otherwise apply. You can think about a range of contexts when this might come up. I mean, certainly in the workplace, you can have situations of proselytizing or harassment. You can have rules about food safety or the hours of work or uniforms and clothing. There are lots of different situations where people's individual or institutional religious practices cause them to want to do things a bit differently. And what the court used to do was to look at whether the rule in question would cause a burden to anyone else. You know, for example, if an employee is part of a minority faith and celebrates their Sabbath on a different day, could the boss rearrange the schedules somewhat so that that person can have their Sabbath without it causing a big problem for other people? Or if there's a uniform set of rules about appearances at the workplace and somebody's religious beliefs require that they wear a head covering of some sort, but the appearance code generally says no hats, no no head coverings, there could be a special exception made for the person who has a religious reason for wanting to do something differently. And in many circumstances, we can understand that's not going to cause harm to anybody else. The discrimination cases are different. By their nature, we're talking about whether anyone has a right to harm other people in particular ways, whether anybody has a religious right to refuse to serve somebody based on who they are when we have a law in place saying that everybody's entitled to equal treatment. And it is among the problems we're grappling with now when, uh, when we're seeing these arguments to change the legal test about whether any changed legal test would include that core idea that religious freedom, it's very important, but it mustn't include a right to cause harm to other people. We're out of time, so let's break for now. 
We'll continue the conversation next time. Thanks, Jenny. Anytime. That's it for this 12th part of our series on the conflict between equality for LGBTQ people and those who cite religious liberty to justify discriminating against us. If you've missed any part of this series, it's available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants, Isha, Rose, Jada, Justin, Lil, Charlotte, Tim, Sasha, and me, Chris. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Outcasting is produced in New York by Media for the Public Good. More information is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting content, and the podcast link. You can also find Outcasting on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and other major podcast sites. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. All right, go get a piece of paper. I'll say it one more time. 866-488-7386 or online at thetrevorproject.org. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting, LGBTQ Resources. Thanks, and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make your tax-deductible contribution today. We can't do programs like this without your support. To make your donation, please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.